1: Interstate 30. So many people drive east, west, north and south of it, you might not even realize how it carves Dallas in two. I-30 is also the line that largely separates financial opportunity in the north from financial barriers in the south. Why is that? Well, we have found new evidence of practices that exclude black and Hispanic residents from getting bank loans below I-30
0: they feel the black community blacks are opportunities so we're gonna deny them now but they're, they're not just sitting around like saying that
1: right in their well, boardroom well there are ways
0: yeah because they underestimate what we can do as a people
1: welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on texas politics
2: all right. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for uh, being with us for another week of our Yalotix political podcast here in Texas. Jason Wheeler here with Jason Whiteley. And today we are talking about money.
0: You know a lot about cash, man.
2: Yeah, because I'm always just sitting and thinking about how could I get more of it? Uh, you,
0: you, you and me uh. both. Th- this is uh, really about equal access to banking and, you know, you drive around, you see gas stations, grocery stores, you see banks. You don't think a lot about it, but think about where those grocery stores are. There aren't a lot mm-hmm. in, in lower income areas. Think about where the banks are. There are even fewer banks in lower income areas. So that's exactly what we're talking about in this podcast because something has happened in the past few days. Yeah. And, and, and we've got this great
2: reporter uh, we work with. His name is David Schechter. And he and a whole team of people uh, have been really looking into this. And, you know, it's not something you think about depending on what which zip code you live in. You think, well, you know, even if there's not a bank in that neighborhood you know, somebody can just call down to the branch that is kind of nearest to them, or they can drive over to it, and they can still get a loan like anyone else. But on that loan application, they're going to want to know, well, where do you live? And where are you trying to get money for? Where is it located? Where is the property? And depending on where that is, you might not be able to get money, even if you do business with that bank, uh, because they might not serve that area. And again, this is something that we don't think a lot about, but Congress has thought a lot about this. They actually passed a law uh, regarding this uh, many years ago, and now already, right off the bat, this report that David and the whole team have put together, this is getting the attention of lawmakers here in Texas and all the way to D.C. because that law that was passed so long ago may not be doing the trick anymore when you get into certain neighborhoods, Jason. Even
0: if you have good credit, but you're lower income, banks might not want to deal with you. And that, that's why this report called Banking Below I-30 was so fascinating to me. But as we were getting ready for this, we you know we planned this interview out. We're going to uh, interview Nicole Wavers, who is a producer at WFAA, and David Schechter, the reporter at WFAA. I heard an ad the other day, and I had to stop it and rewind it because it's exactly what this is about. And it's Citibank. I think they go by Citi now, Mm C-I-T-I. And they said if there was equal access to banking, that would add $5 trillion to the economy over five years and 6 million more jobs per year if there was equal access to banking. And that's what David's story is all about. Nicole did a lot of research on this, another producer, Jason Trahan, did a lot of research on this as well, too, and and they made some interesting discoveries about things that have been sitting in plain sight for a long time Mm -hmm. that no one has ever really been shining a light on.
2: And it all starts with a term that you may or may not have heard, and it's called redlining. So, so, David, if you can, uh, first of all, for people who don't know, you know what redlining is, first of all, it is still something that exists, even though uh, there was legislation to address this a long time ago. What is redlining in a very basic sense?
1: Basically, it's a bank or a financial institution drawing some kind of boundary that says we are not going to serve this area. For, for our example, we're talking about banks, but it could be insurance or any other kind of financial service. And yeah, since 1977, there's been legislation to address that and prevent that from happening. So, uh,
2: you know, I think that a lot of people will go, well, there was a law passed for that, uh, which you just referred to there, uh,
1: and and that was supposed to fix it all. Yeah, it's called the Community Reinvestment Act, uh, or the CRA, which I had never heard about until we started reporting on this. But essentially, it's it's civil rights legislation. It's like uh, the 1964 Voting Rights Act, and it protect that protects the right to vote, and so this is this law protects, you know, the the concept that everyone has essentially a right to um, credit, and they can't be discriminated
0: against. Nicole, let's cut down to the to chase on this. What what does this mean if people are carved out of, of banking areas? Can they not? Get mortgages? Can they not get car loans? Can they not get business loans? Student loans? What? What does this mean?
3: They can't do any of those things. Banking is just essential to the way that our society um, moves forward, to the way that people thrive. You need to have a savings account, and you need to have access to capital. You need to have access to credit to be able to grow your business, to be able to 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 get a mortgage, and so. Those, those things, like, you just you just need them to be able to function yeah. in our society. And if you don't have them, you're going to get left behind.
0: You guys profiled a, uh, I think it was a car dealer in South Dallas. And what was fascinating is you took an old John McKay story hmm. from what, the early 80s? Yeah, 88, and, and, 1988. Mid, late 80s, okay. <clears throat> so you took a, an old John McKay story about a car dealer and you went back and found the same car dealer, uh, what, 30 years later, 32 years later. And he's still in the same situation. That, number one, it's heartbreaking. But number two, that's that's how I really got it, is when you when you showed that guy initially trying to get the loan back in the '80s, and you fast forward 32 years, same situation. Yeah,
1: we really wanted to show the stretch of time. I think that was really important with what we did to try to cover is from the '30s to the '80s to the 2020s, and show the the continuum was really important for us. And this Robert Petrie, who you're talking about a tremendous guy and everybody knows him and, and he has become successful he, he owns this mm-hmm. 132 acres of land he owns a ranch up in, in in southern dallas and uh he said if i could be white during the day and black at night i'd be a multi-millionaire and uh wow. that really struck me i don't nicole i mean hey, there's a lot of stories like that
3: like the issue of race is huge. The issue of like race, race and ethnicity. Like this is about, this is definitely about low to moderate income people because that's, what, that's how the law works is that it focuses on low to moderate income people. But when you look at these maps, the demographics of neighborhoods are very important. The big overarch for the story and the way you kind of like get to this story is because of what people assume are neighborhoods that are risky, there's an assumption that some neighborhoods are more like risky than others. Are, are,
0: they, are they afraid that their people in, in Southern Dallas might default on loans? Is that, is that what the concern is, Nicole?
3: I think that there, there may be that concern, but I think, that, I think the government realized when they were coming up with this law that just because you are low to moderate income does not mean that you are not credit worthy or risky. You can be low to moderate income But pay your bills on time, but be uh, worthy of credit and to be low to to moderate income. And you need credit to be able to pull yourself up even further into the next rung of like income levels. You need capital. You need access to all of those things. And so I think there's this assumption that certain areas are either too risky or sometimes there's blatant racism and discrimination involved.
2: And it just takes me back to to Mr. Petrie who you built the story around here. This is a guy who if I'm sitting on a stack of money and I'm ready to loan it out, he's getting that money because he's got property, he's got a business, and he's been he has stayed put in a community for decades and decades. These are the sorts of things that lenders salivate over. If he can't get a loan, who can get a loan?
3: And that's 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 why it goes back to the like this is not we're not talking about somebody who's who's too risky. We're not talking about right. to someone who doesn't have the money to be able to pay back a loan. He's a great example of there's something else. What else is happening here?
1: This year he applied. Uh, he applied for a loan. He had a, he had a, mil- a million dollar line of credit or something. And he wanted to refinance. Jeez. So he went to um, a bank which we have the documentation for, and uh, asked for a loan. And they they required something like $5 million of collateral for a $1 million loan from him, which he has. (laughs) He has the property to back it up. And he walked out of there, and he sued them. And he sued them for civil rights violation uh, in January of this year. Uh, He's a fighter, but, you know— he said, his, I didn't see his credit score. He says his credit score is fantastic. He's obviously got all this land that he owns free and clear. And even today, you know, his perception is they were trying to make him go away because he's black. Um, and that's super hard to prove also in a in a court of law. Uh, and he's spending his money now on that, on that case. Who knows if he'll win it, but like, look, like it's still happening to that guy. But, of course, change doesn't just
2: come about in, in courts of law. And, and I know that you all have gotten a lot of attention. Just, I mean, we're, we're still just days out from when this piece aired. And already there's momentum building here. Talk a little bit about uh, what the reaction
1: has been. And, and these are from some pretty big names. Well, our most recent story is essentially that uh, Eddie Bernice Johnson, Representative Eddie Bernice Johnson, Democrat who represents a lot of uh, southern Dallas um, uh, Mark, Representative Mark Vesey, a Democrat, represents part of Southern Dallas. Co- Representative Colin Ored, also a Democrat, who represents Northern Dallas, where more of the banks are. They have all uh, say that they um, want to have hearings where they would bring together the banks and the regulators for some accountability, but also community members, um, people like Robert Petrie, and organizations that are trying to do development and um, and maybe even the city of Dallas, which has hundreds of millions of dollars in banks around Dallas County and leverage, bring everybody to the table, find actionable ways through the CRA probably to release the money, but also potentially hearings that how the CRA is not working um, and how it can be reformed and approved so that banks can have relationships uh, and make loans in these
0: areas. All right. So the CRA, David keeps saying the CRA here, the Community Reinvestment Act. And he's talking about, you know, potentially having hearings on this. This is a federal program. So we have on the line with us now Congressman Mark Vesey. He's a Democrat from Fort Worth. But his district, if you're familiar with it, is gerrymandered from Fort Worth all the way over to Dallas. But all of it is below Interstate 30. What we're talking about here. He's on the line with us yeah absolutely good to be on you've seen the stories that yeah. uh david Schechter has produced here in dallas with, with a team of producers um w- my question is what can the federal government do to incentivize or, or require these banks to work with people in in places like your district southern dallas uh you know southern fort worth eastern fort worth where where banks just aren't working with uh you know minority customers
4: yeah, obviously, we need to be much more aggressive in making sure uh, that banks are working with customers. Uh, oftentimes, when you go into you know black and brown communities, banks are more than you know willing and eager to help people open up checking accounts. Uh, they are you know more than willing to sort of provide those sort of basic services that people need. But when it comes to getting a loan to buy a home or uh, or, or for that matter, you know, opening up a business. Uh, it's just not there the opportunities are, are not there the banks uh, don't seem to want to be a tool to empower uh communities of color uh, the same way that they have for generations now uh you know white communities and uh and 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 the federal government certainly does need to uh, look at how we can be uh, more aggressive in making sure that the banking community uh, is uh, is serving the needs of of all citizens and not just you know, small slivers of society.
2: Yeah, because, Congressman, just a, a simple decision by a bank to not lend in a particular area can have some pretty devastating and far-reaching knockoff effects in that area that, that last for a long time.
4: Yeah, for generations. I mean, if you look at, uh, at, at, at black wealth in this country, one of the reasons why black wealth oftentimes lags behind uh, other demographics in this country, uh, is certainly tied directly to, to home values. Uh, and with again, with banks not making uh, that same level of investment and, and loan opportunities in black communities as they do uh, others, it contributes to uh, that, that lower uh, household income uh, and, and wealth that, I'm, that I just mentioned and talked about. Uh, and, and it really does tie directly back uh, to banks and a lot of their inactions. So,
0: so the first step in this, uh, Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, who is a Democrat, represents um, the eastern side of your district, essentially, the other side of your district, uh, southern Dallas. Uh, she said that she's interested in, in holding hearings on this to get answers from the banks. But, you, Congressman, you, you've been in Congress a long time, and, and you and I both know there's a big difference between hearings and something actionable, which is what people have wanted for so long. Do you see legislation coming out of these hearings? Uh,
4: there has to be some legislation that comes out of out of these hearings, and I also think with a, you know, a, a president that actually will listen to representatives like myself and Colin Aldred and Eddie Bernice Johnson on a lot of these issues that face the black community, I think that it may uh, uh, help the banks and incentivize them a little bit uh, to step their game up and start doing the right thing. I mean, look, I, I think that it's no a mistake that or no no i'm sorry i don't think it's any accident i should say uh that the situation has probably gotten worse you know under trump uh when you consider the fact that he was uh, actually had to settle with the federal government because he was discriminating uh by not allowing blacks uh to live in the buildings that he and his father owned uh and so if you have that sort of situation obviously the banks are going to think that they can get away with whatever they want to Wow. Uh, and so and and so e- even though this is a problem that you know dates back uh, before, my guess is that for the last four years, banks have probably thought that they can do whatever they please.
2: With everything that's going on though right now, do you think that there could be um, an appetite in a bipartisan way to to make some tweaks here to do some things here? You know you're going to have lobbyists coming out of the woodwork on something like this
4: too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have, you'll have lobbyists coming out of the woodwork. So there's no question about that. And, the, and, and I don't know if, if, we can, if, if we can make it bipartisan. We obviously need to because, you know, depending on what happens out of the Senate, uh, that could obviously uh, play a huge role. Uh, but I think that, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen the last four years, uh, uh, and, and it obviously predated the last four years, is that the president uh, has a lot of executive power uh, that he can wield uh, from from that branch of the government. Uh, and I really do hope that if we're not able to get something fat that perhaps we can get some more enforcement uh, on the federal level uh, and sort of and put some pressure on banks uh, to to again to step their game up. I mean, if you look at some of the changes that banks have made uh, regarding things like uh, uh, overdraft uh, fees uh, and what have you that were really hurting uh, you know black and brown communities, much more than others. Uh, a lot of that uh, occurred because of uh, pressure that the Obama administration you know, put under banks uh, to clean their act up and, and and they did it. And so I think that there's an opportunity there with this new administration, but obviously if we could get something put into law uh, that would uh, make them clean up their act, I think it would obviously go a lot further uh, as this has, as you know, is a generational problem. It's not anything right. that, that just occurred.
0: C- Congressman, since we have you on the line here, I do want to ask uh, different topics, same lines here, though. The, the stimulus, uh, briefly, do you anticipate that that the House and the Senate can come together before the end of the year to give people uh, an, a second stimulus check? How likely is that by the end of the year?
4: Uh, yeah, you know, and this really sort of ties into what we're talking about now with the redlining. Uh, You know, my my biggest fear is that what you're going to see is you're gonna see a lot of small businesses, you know, continue to shut down. If we don't figure out a way in Congress how to keep the stimulus money, the PPP, uh, the checks uh, into the economy and keep them going. If you talk to to our local fed chairman, I mean, they'll pretty much tell you exactly what I just said. And what you're going to see is a a huge imbalance. You're gonna see these small black and Hispanic owned businesses Probably shut down at an even higher rate, and so once we get to the point of a post-COVID uh, economic recovery, you're going to see uh, Black and Brown businesses even have a much harder time ramping their small businesses back up or getting them yeah. reopened than other communities would. And so we we have to get something passed. We, you know, we we and not only do we need to get something passed. I mean, if you listen very closely to what Dr. Redfield is saying and Dr. Fauci is saying, you're looking at you know, once we do this first round of nursing homes and hospital uh, workers, uh, and then move to the second round, uh, you're looking at the fall before you finally get to the point to where we can take our mask off and go back into society. And and the fall is very generous. If you think about the fact that we have to get a lot of people that are anti-vaxxers, people that don't trust this vaccine because of historical discriminations, like what we're talking about right now, we have to figure out a way how we're going to get you know, close to 300 million people vaccinated, so this virus doesn't have a host. But, but in the next nine months,
0: if, if if you were to get on a plane and head out to Vegas and put a wager on this, what are the chances that the uh, Republicans in the Senate and Democrats in the House will be able to come together in a compromise to get a second stimulus passed? I think that we'll.
4: I I feel good that we'll be able to get something passed before we leave and go home by the end of this week. All right. That will help out because people are going to need those checks. If, if those checks are not in the economy, particularly because of uh, right now we're coming up on the Christmas season, it's just going to make everything so much more dramatically worse. But just so
2: people know, this is going to be a, a so-called skinny stimulus compared to the, the numbers that have been thrown
4: around months ago. Yeah, that's, that's right. It, it, it will be. And, I, you know, again, I think that that's, you know, I think one of the things that we need to continue to talk about more uh, is the fact that we we. Need to continue to pass these bills, and, and you know, again, until we're out of the the situation that we're in right now. This 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 cannot be the last one, and mm-hmm. if we do get something more robust passed uh, in the next uh, you know month or two here, there's going to have to be another one because uh, again, you look at the record number of unemployment that we're having, you're looking at people being very concerned about evictions, uh, you know, all those things combined just lead to a very uh, you know, bad situation on the ground in most communities all around the country. And and, and again, if, if if we don't do the best that we can now to keep everything together, once we finally do get enough people vaccinated and we get everything reopened, you're going to see a much longer economic recovery period hmm. than, than than need be. And right. that's why we need the we need the Senate to cooperate with us uh, on these packages so we can help the American public out.
0: Congressman Mark Vesey, we always appreciate you taking our call. Thanks a lot. Hey, okay,
4: thank you. Good to see you all.
0: So the, the series is called Banking Below 30, if you haven't seen this yet. But this is not just unique to Dallas and Dallas County. Same thing with Fort Worth. Same thing with, like, Third Ward in Houston, East Austin, San Antonio. You name it. This is happening everywhere, isn't it, guys?
1: Nicole? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anybody?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'll answer it. Uh, I was looking at uh, something
2: on Brookings, and and they were saying that the University of Richmond has actually digitized a bunch of scans of redlined areas. Uh, David's shaking his head. I know y'all done a ton of research here. Uh, and just in Texas, they had entries for Austin, Beaumont, Dallas, Fort Worth, Galveston, Houston, Port Arthur, San Antonio, and Waco. So this is
1: not just a southern Dallas issue. This is happening. Those maps are from the 30s and 40s. Those are the ones that are scanned in Those are the original redlining. Maps and they've done some really there's a lot of great research that's been done with that to show how it continues on today, the same problems. This is sort of a bureaucratic issue that's been going on in the background. The banks deal with the regulators and they try to work it out and they all get approved, and then there's no credit. You know, there's a lack of credit. So I think what we did was instead of looking at it bureaucratically, I said, here's what's going on in Dallas County. You guys have these bureaucratic issues going on, and you fight about it, and you have regulators, and you have hearings. Guess what? It's not working in Dallas County. They haven't sort of sliced it that way, and I think that's what's getting the results right now. Is that people can see, oh, these things that happen in Congress that are actually having an impact on the ground.
2: Uh, it's fascinating, and and, and this is. Yeah. It sounds like this is that we've just gotten tip of the iceberg uh, territory here. That that there's still a lot left under the water. That's I see a lot of pieces coming out of this, David. You're going to be busy. I feel for a like while.
1: I feel like we're going to be doing this. Uh, indefinitely uh, and it would be a it's it's uh, I feel like very quickly my job description is uh has morphed a little bit like this is going to be a lot of what I'm doing you know for a long time and uh, and that's that's great <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Keep it up keep up the good work Nicole and uh, Nicole Wavers and David Schechter thanks for being on ylytics with us What
1: about we didn't get to drink the beer I brought a beer oh you brought a <laughs> <laughs> you
0: wanna
1: to, to toast one to us? What are you having, Nicole? What do you have? Yeah, this is so. This is uh, this is it's called Stay Gold, but this is uh, from Austin, the Fourth Tap. But the beer is is co branded with Black Pumas, which is my favorite band. Huh, that is great. I like that.
2: Very exotic. Uh, who can't
1: tour? So now I'm buying their beer and drinking their beer. And, and have you had you know, one of these?
2: Ten- have you had one of these before? Yeah.
1: There goes the tap. Yeah. I'm just gonna pour it for you right now. Oh, wow, David brings a glass to his. Yeah, you gotta see the color, nice amber color We there. always drink straight out of the can.
0: Yeah, you yeah, guys are David. Are you're you on the payroll there, man. <laughs> you're selling <laughs> that beer, huh? Mm-hmm. How is it, Dave? Nicole. Good Nicole,
1: hoppy, what, yeah, you... hoppy everyday drinking IPA, everybody.
0: Mm. Nice, Nicole, what do you
1: have?
3: Tito's. Tito's, My oh wait, table. you're having
1: Tito's in a coffee mug?
2: No. <laughs> And uh, then she, I never know what's in that mug yeah, Then she laughs it off But it's not a convincing laugh off So maybe some Tito's is in there We don't know <laughs> It keeps her creative it keeps well, it Austin creative. is well represented here With a beer and Tito's vodka From uh, right there in ATX Right, You uh, having something awesome. there Jason?
0: Always man always I have a uh, I don't know how to pronounce this My kids know Spanish I don't Mi Micheve, It's from Revolver It's a Mexican style lager and, like TV's David Schechter Oh wow, you bring your own let's glass see the call you what, Let's see the color on that thing Hold on, huh? look at that Nice, rich, amber Let me get in the light a little more here
1: I love that this show at 10.30 you can drink beer It's okay
0: We usually do it earlier than this It's usually like 9am I'm having some cantaloupe, cottage cheese, a piece of sausage and a beer
2: <laughs> What do you have? Uh, I'm having a, it's called a blind lemon From the Deep Ellum Brewing Company mm-hmm. Y'all ever had that? I'm gonna, I wish I had a dark mug to pour mine into. I really like that way of doing things. I'll put it into <laughs> the coffee glass. Look how, oh, look how light oh, that is. Oh my god! I think oh, this is a dude. seltzer. This what, is a seltzer. An animal? It's a seltzer. put
0: that in a, you had coffee in that glass and you poured a beer in there?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really this not bad. podcast is over, man. <laughs> off actually the actually, rails. I poured, a hard off the rails. S- I poured a hard seltzer into there. It's not really beer. <laughs> it's got notes of uh, Coffee
0: coffee a little bit of milk too oh my god i'm sick of my stomach now man
2: (laughs) it's really pretty good
0: that's gross all right y'all thank you for doing this well the good stuff Uh, seriously stay i know you're gonna stay on this but stay on this because it's it's something that that people have known for a long time people have lived for a long time that uh if we can keep the light shining bright enough on it yep it might finally get taken care of